thank you guys for being here this morning. Uh, we're in our last, our last message, our new series called Believe. And um, uh, this is every, every series I do, every series that I feel like the Lord kind of puts in my heart, it kind of comes out of one thought process. It comes out of one, either reading the Word of God or just in prayer, one thought kind of gives birth um, to a series. And this is the, this is the message. This is the, the message that it kind of got birthed out of. And it's kind of changed a little bit over the course of this week just because of just the way that God has been doing some things in my own um, personal life. But I, I want this morning, I just want us to kind of take a break. Uh, just, and I want to tell you a little bit of a story about my life, just about five or 10 minutes. I just want to tell you from, from the moment that I was 16 years old and gave my heart to Christ to last week, I just want to kind of give you the quick rundown of that right there real fast. You guys got time for that? All right, cool. So here we go. I was 16 um, years old. I, I, I'd give my heart to the Lord. I just had an amazing moment with God. And if you grew up in church, just one of those what they call mountaintop experiences. If you didn't really grow up in church, that might not seem weird to you. But if you did grow up in church, you understand the term mountaintop experience or the valleys. The mountaintops are good and the valleys are not so good. And this was like a mountaintop experience um, for me. It was, a, it was a first real time. I just knew in my heart and my life that God was um, calling me to follow him, and I just gave my heart to Christ, and I, I started to follow him, and I made a lot of major changes in my life really, really, really quickly right after that moment, and, and it was just about three, four months of just awesomeness. I mean, it was just like peace and comfort and happiness and satisfaction um, in ways that I really can't explain, and just um, there was a lot of things in my life I knew that I needed to get out, and I started getting those things out, and I just I was just on this high. I was just on this mountaintop um, with Christ really for the first time in my life. It was just a beautiful, amazing Thing and, and everything started to become just so clear about my life. I remember, I remember very early on within, and I know this may sound dramatic, but I just felt like from the moment that I got up from that little church and that little stage where I was at and walked off, I just knew that I was going to be in ministry. It was just something that I just knew about my heart and my life. I didn't know the when or the how or the what, but I just knew that I was going to be a preacher. It was just one of those things, and, and it became so clear to me, and there were things like uh, going on in high school and athletics and different things that I knew that the Lord wanted me to get out of and to change, and that was so clear, um, and, and I just started making all these changes, and, and so I just kind of went into this life, and then after I, I kind of did all this, I made all these changes. I actually moved um, from my mom's into my dad's. I changed states, I changed schools, and I eventually got out of school, and I went through all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, I went kind of through this phase in my life where, like, um, it wasn't quite so clear as it was that first three or four or five months, and things that, you know, that first four or five months, I just felt like, you know, Moses or somebody. I just was like, felt like I just couldn't, you know, temptation really wasn't a problem. I put so many things down. And, and then all of a sudden, temptation started to show back up in my life. And I, I wasn't quite as strong as I was before. You know, those first four or five months, like I was just reading the Bible and I was studying. I was so in love with everything that was happening. And I just wanted to every, it seemed like every single time I opened up the Bible, like there was just this revelation of just power and amazingness. And, and I just wanted it. And all of a sudden, it just seemed like, reading scripture kind of became more of like a burden or, or an obligation rather than like this excitement and this joy in it. And then it just seemed like as, as, as I started to progress on that all the things that were once so clear started to kind of almost like fade away, if that makes sense. And this didn't happen quickly. I mean, this is over the course of a year, year and a half. And, and, and I just kind of, and I was even, I had an opportunity to teach and to preach for the first time. And, and then I just, I kind of got to this place to where just like, it just, I woke up one day and I was just not sure, you know, old school people would have been like, he's backslidden. You know what I mean? Like he went, you know, it wasn't like I was just, you know, out there like selling drugs or anything like that. It was just like, I just wasn't in this place. I was just in this phase. I was just in this, this, this season of my life to where it wasn't what it used to be. Life wasn't as clear as it used to be. My desire for God wasn't there as much as it used to be in the kind of the passion 
was gone. And, and, and I remember as I started to befriend a certain group of people, my life started going a different direction. I had this, uh, this kind of this thing with real estate for a while. And then and I, I had a little bit of financial success with this. And so I actually went to Charlotte to, to go to real estate school. And I was going to get, I went through the little class and I passed the test and I had the opportunity to go get my license. And, and I was going to do this deal. And I was going to, you know, and I had them, I was going to be an investor and I was going to do this. And, and then all of a sudden I remember waking up one day, it was just this, I woke up and I just was thinking about the last year and a half of my life. And I was just going, you know what, how did I get from where I was at that little 16 or almost 17-year-old, I had just experience and everything was so clear and I went into this direction and then now all of a sudden I'm here, I'm in this phase and I made all these major decisions and now I'm kind of regretting some of those decisions that I made and, and I'm, I'm, I was going to preach and teach and I was going to do all this and God opened up the door and now I'm like thinking about real estate and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm, how did I go from that to this? You know, it was just one of those things, and I just remember having another moment with God where I was just like, all right, I understand. I don't know how I got here. I really don't understand how I wound up in this phase of my life or in this season of my life, but I really don't like the direction that it's going, and I just had, I just get started to just get really back into the Word and really back in, into God, and then God started to open up the door, and then some passion came back, and then I, I started climbing up out of the valley, and I started going up to the mountaintop, and, and you know, and I was just having, it was just passion again, and everything became clear again, and, and God opened up some more doors, and I was able to go to Ohio, and and spend some time with the Lord up there and work in a little church and go to a little Bible school and, and have some time up there. And up there is where I really learned just some powerful things about God. And I was able to teach and preach on a regular basis for the first time in my life. And, and it was just this big mountaintop, this awesome, like everything was so clear and God was awesome. And, and every time I opened up the Bible, it was just amazing. And it was just this great, big, awesome Ness of life in this phase. It was great. It was awesome. And it was passionate. I felt like I could just move mountains with my faith in God. And everything was so clear. And everything was so amazing. And everything was so awesome. And then I came back uh, from Ohio. And then I, I got plugged into this one deal. And then, and then two or three months later, I found myself in this phase again. Where now it's not quite as passionate. It's not quite as great. It wasn't quite as awesome and things weren't quite as clear and now the Bible became a, another obligation again and then prayer was just kind of fading into the background and, and all these different things and then my desires began to change and I started thinking about this and thinking about that and my heart was going to and fro and again it's not like I was like you know like selling cocaine to kids or anything it was just like I'm just in this in this place in my life where it's just like all of a sudden, you know, things aren't whatever. And then I had this opportunity to go to Europe, and, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to do that. And so I went, and there it was, again, like this just amazing time of my life where it was just everything was great, and, and I was just in the Word. I learned to depend on God in a different way I ever had before, and, and it was just one of those things. And then I come back, and I got into school, and I remember the first year I was in school, my, in college, um, it was just an amazing time. A couple guys uh, got together, and they were like, you know, we really want to start this house church because a lot of the churches in the area, they kind of, suck and so we just want to have our own deal and so like let's get together we, maybe you teach because you used to teach and and let's do this and we'll do this and we'll go week to week to week and so we started this little house church with like six people and and I preached one week and my buddy preached one week and another guy preached one week and eventually they asked me to just kind of start preaching every week and so I started preaching every week at this little house church and 10 turned to 15 and 15 turned to 30 and 30 turned to 60 and and there was all of a sudden there was all these kids coming every Sunday morning to this little house church and we we're having bible studies with dozens and dozens of kids throughout the week and people People were just meeting at this little house and praying, and we even baptized some people in bathtubs. I mean, it was just one of those weird, 
awesome God moments. And it was just like, there was this, my favorite story out of the whole time of the house church was this one guy who was like a borderline atheist who was in pre-law and he was going to go do all this stuff. And he came to the church, um, he came to the, to the house one night and, and we got into this conversation and he showed up and then we went through the Bible together and he gave his heart to the Lord and it was just an amazing thing. And, and he actually switched his major from pre-law into theology and now he's like in full-time ministry. It's just one of the greatest things that I've ever got to really be a part of. In my opinion, it was just an awesome time of my life, and I'm here at this house church, and God's just going, the Holy Spirit's just moving, and we just think we're so awesome, we think like we've got it figured out, and, and it's just, I feel like, again, I feel like I could just split mountains with my faith in God, and, and then all of a sudden, again, I woke up one day, and it was just like, like, it was almost like it was just gone, it was almost just like the, the desire was almost just gone, it was like it was, you know, the scripture was so alive and so powerful, and and I wanted it, and I desired it, and I was going to be a preacher, and I was going to do this, and I was going to do that. And then all of a sudden, one day, I just kind of woke up, and, and things weren't exactly that way anymore. And there were some things that I just thought were like I'd put behind me were now like front and center again. Some sin that I thought that I had put behind me forever was now kind of front and center again. And, and all of a sudden, I just realized that my heart was kind of going in a different direction. And one of the greatest regrets of my life is walking away from the house church. It was one of the things that I wish I had never would have done. There were some situations, and it really doesn't matter uh, what happened or why I did it, but I just kind of walked away, and the guys kind of handed it off to this other ministry that was happening, and, and God did his thing anyway, even without us, and, and we just kind of, we left. It was one of the greatest regrets of my life because I knew with all my heart that that was something that God wanted, and I got to this place, and I was just like, why? Like, why did I let that go? Why did I walk away? And I remember it was one moment of spring break, I think sophomore year. I, I preached a Friday night, a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and then a Wednesday of that spring break. I'd never preached that many times before. And I remember the Thursday after the Wednesday deal was spring break, I left and I drove to meet a bunch of my friends down at uh, spring break down at the beach. And I remember going down there and on the way down there just thinking like, like I really did not enjoy the last few days of preaching. And I remember just thinking that I was headed into that week knowing that I was going to be preaching a lot, almost as if it was a burden. I was almost annoyed that I've got to go do this while all my buddies and all my friends are at the beach hanging out and, and I've got to get to this. And I was just like this thing and I was just kind of done with it. I just kind of walked away with it. Again, I'm not like murdering anybody. I'm not a serial killer. I'm just, I'm just entering into this phase of my life where I was just kind of like, well, maybe God really doesn't matter that much. And I hate to say that out loud, but it just kind of get there. And my heart started going in different directions. And I started thinking about all these things I could accomplish in school. And then my heart went that way. And I went into this place. And then I got into this about a year and a half long phase where I didn't preach at all. God, I had no opportunities to preach. I didn't even really want to preach. And I was just going. And I even got to this one place where I seriously contemplated changing my major to something different. Because I was that, that's how unclear things became for me. I just wasn't sure. I just wasn't, my passion for God was almost completely gone. And here I am at this, this Christian school, and I'm supposed to be this, and I'm traveling, and I'm, I'm doing a little bit of preaching here and there. And it's just like, it's like this is just who I am. This is the phase of life that I just kind of got into all of a sudden. And then I got into a fraternity, and they asked me to be the chaplain of the fraternity, and I started preaching every week again. And it was through that time period in the school that I, I kind of came back to God. And again, guys, like I'm not, I just want to reiterate, this is a phase of life. I, it's not like that I was like sacrificing goats, you know what I mean, to the devil or anything. It was just, I just lost my passion for God. And so I get in the fraternity, I start teaching and preaching every week again, and I, I find that, and I finally just get to this place in my heart, and I get to this place in my life. And I'm just like, I, I look back over the last few years 
And I'm just like, like, what the heck? Like, why? Like, why do we go through these phases? Why do we go through these seasons of our life? Why do we go through these times? Am I the only one that goes through these times? Am I the only one that goes through these struggles? Am I the only preacher on the face of the planet that sucks as bad as I do? Am I the only one that feels like that I just struggle, that I get to these places where one week I love God with all my heart and the next week I love me with all my heart? One week I just want to serve and follow God and worship God and do things for God and the next week I want to build up my kingdom and build up my empire and succeed and, and take over the world and be wealthy and rich and famous and all the other things that human nature loves. You guys all have one or two things. I, I want them all. It's just who I am, and I just, whatever, I just want to do it. Whatever it is, I want to go. So it's just, how do I get through these phases? You know, and I thought, you know, and I, I just got into a great place over the last few years. I've just been at a, just in an amazing place. I've matured greatly in my life um, spiritually. Some of you would probably not think I matured that well physically. But, um, like, I've just matured over time, and I've just got into this place and this mode. And you know what, and, and, it, and there's a way, you know, I, I don't ever lose. There was never a moment in time when I thought about walking away from Christ. There was never a moment in time when I stopped believing in Jesus. There was never a moment in time when it just got to this place to where there was, some days it was just like, it was just, it was like so amazing and so powerful and so passionate and so real and life was so crystal clear. And then it was just like all of a sudden a few days would go by or a few weeks would go by and then I would just be in this place to where it was just like maybe God doesn't matter that much, and I would just kind of enter into this new phase of my life. And I would love to tell you that when I started Passion Harvest Cove was the day that all changed. The first time I preached at Harvest Cove, never had a see It's just been mountaintops and mountaintops and mountaintops and mountaintops, but it hasn't. Even as a preacher, I go through these, these things in my life where it's just like some days, like, and I don't mean this in any way arrogantly at all, but it's just like some days, like I just, I just like the word of God's just so clear and I just walk up here and I just preach and like lives just get changed and I'm just like drop the mic and walk off. It's just like, don't start. See? See, joking around about pride. God's like, oh, you think you fixed the microphone, hang out. See, but it just get, it's just like it's just like God's just so strong and I'm just so passionate for God and it just seems like I could just open up the word of God and it's just like this amazing thing and I just get it and I learn it and I apply it and then I teach it to you guys and it's just and I feel like you go through I go through little phases and seasons where it's just like it's just so and then I'll get into these phases where it's just like I sit in my office and it's just difficult. I open up the word of God and it's just like like what the heck, man? Like like you know, where is this, where is this at? Why is it not? The same. You know, what, why, why six months ago was it just like I could just, I felt like I could just dream just a message. You know, I could just dream this thing. I could just hear from you so clearly. And, and I just desired and it was just this passion. And, and you know, where, why am I into this phase, you know? And, and it's like, and as a preacher, man, like you don't want to say that to people. You don't want to tell that to people. You don't, people, how, how's your week going? Oh, I'm just really contemplating my passion for Jesus this week. You don't want to say that. How are things going, Jordan? Things are going well. They're not really going that well. I sat for three hours in my office, and I read Scripture for three hours, but I honestly have no idea what I read. I just read it. Well, did you take your Adderall this morning? No, it's not, it's not ADD. It's just a spiritual place I'm in. You know, and I had a conversation with a group of people that are close to me this week, you know, and it was just kind of this, this thing, you know, and, and, and like nobody, we never knew that this was going to be the message I was preaching. We just kind of this conversation. It was just like, you know, you just get into, and the word of the day for that group we're talking about was just funk. You just get into this, this funk. Somebody jerk. Oh, oh. 
So my joke around, I said, don't, don't say that word too fast, but it's just, you get into this, this, this phase of this season of life where it's just like, like, what the heck happened, you know? And I just really started to die. I, I literally, guys, I swear on my life, like, I want to make a promise to you. I've tested this thing a thousand times. I was doing jumping jacks Thursday, upside down, trying to get this microphone to mess up and couldn't get it to mess up. So I have no idea what's happening. We're just going to keep flowing with it. We're just going to go with it. I'll stop moving. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll fix it. Seven people just said you can't stop moving. I can, t- I can stop moving. I can stop moving. Everybody thought it, but seven people said it. All right. And so I just really started just thinking in my heart and my life, God, just, just why? Like, why do we get here? And God just kind of morphed, you know, the, this last message in the series just kind of into that idea. And I just want to be able to answer the question, or you to be able to answer the question and just know, how did I get here? How, when you get to places, everybody remember the band Creed? They really weren't that great, but they were awesome for me because I loved them. But I know that they, a lot of people that didn't, I loved Creed. I just loved the deep voice and the singing. It just was a, Scott Staff is a lead singer of Creed. And a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Scott Staff actually went to the college that I went to, the university that I went to in Tennessee. I mean, he was a, a very, very powerful uh, vocalist and a passionate Christian um, for Christ uh, prior to um, some of his experiences in Creed. And, and they did a, a and if, you don't, if, you, if you're just too young to really don't know Creed, Creed kind of took over the world for about two years in the early 2000s, um, and they kind of reshaped the early 2000s modern rock, and, and they were just kind of the Nickelback Creed era. And I know you guys are all Christians and didn't listen to good music, but the, so they were doing this interview with VH1 with Scott Stapp, and they were kind of talking about kind of his time at Lee, and he actually got kicked out of Lee, a uh, little bit of too much pot smoking, but he kind of went into this phase in his life, and then he says, my spiritual life, he starts talking about his life with Jesus, his Christian life, and he says, he says, you know, I've never one time stopped believing in God, I've never one time stopped believing in, in Christ, and he said, I've never one time stopped, you know, wanting, he said, I just go through these phases in my life, and he said, what I noticed was that I went into this phase one day, and I just really never came out of it. So what he said, he said, I just went into this phase. He said, it was in the middle of college. I just went into this phase, and he said, in the desire for fame and the desire for whatever, he said, I just went into this phase in my life where I just kind of left. And he said, and he referred to a song he wrote. It wasn't one they ever played on the radio. It was on the album. It was called Faceless Man. And in the, in the middle of the lyrics, he just talks about this moment years later that he has with with God, he says he's just kind of out, and he, he looks into the in a pond, and he says it's amazing in the silence, you know, when God speaks to you, and and he said he just realized that he had just gotten so far away from where he felt like in his younger years God was taking him. He just went into this phase, and he never came back. In one of the lyrics, you know, and he says he says I know that if 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 I can't see the light, that I'll have to walk alone, and if I walk alone to the other side, I might not make it home which was part of, the, part of the scene. It was just something that I remember listening to when I was a kid, and, just, and I thought about that song, and so I just kind of pulled up that interview this week, and I was listening to this very famous man who had just given his life to Christ, and just his life went in a totally opposite direction. And I'm not saying there's any theology, theological basis to what he's saying, but his point was, he says, you know, I just, I just got so glamour and so distracted, and I just kind of walked away, and he said, I just felt like if, in that moment, if I didn't come back, to Christ, if I didn't come back to Christ in that moment, he said, I just felt like I may walk alone too far to the other side and I might not ever be able to make it 
home. It was after that he wrote a song called Relearn Love, and he kind of disappeared, mostly because most of his music started to be horrible, but he just kind of disappeared from the limelight. Last album wasn't any good. You should not go buy it. And and he just kind of left, and him and his wife and his kids, they went back, and he's just re... The whole song was like, I'm... I'm gone, I'm going to disappear, I'm going to go relearn my relationship with Christ. Um, it was just kind of a, a thing. And so my question to you is, is that as we go through, or my statement to you is as we go through these phases, I want us to understand, one, everybody goes through these phases of your life. Just because you're passionate one week, man, and, and, or passionate one month, and, and, and you kind of lose that passion six months from now, my fear is, and this is something that I think happened to, to Mr. Scott Stapp, my fear is that I saw it happening to me a time or two. My fear is, is that when we get into those phases when things aren't great and we get into those phases when things aren't amazing and we get into those phases where we just start, it's in these phases where we make some of the worst decisions of our life. It's in these phases where we just kind of decide, okay, well, you know what, I tried the Christian thing or I tried the Christ thing or I tried the God thing and it, and it just didn't seem to work out and now I found myself here again dealing with the same things I was dealing with three years ago or five years ago or ten years ago and so I'm just going to keep going on and we just kind of get lost in this, this phase and we, and we really don't come out of it. And my other thing I think that happens is we get into this place to where we learn to be religious, we learn to, to be with God and we learn to go to church and we learn to to put on that face that we are on the mountaintop and we're really at the valley and we kind of create this atmosphere to where we start faking that we're passionate and we start faking and we learn all the words to say but deep inside we know that we really don't have a strong relationship with God. This right here, that state is where I think a lot of people live most of their Christian life. We get in that, we get so engrossed in religion, we get so engrossed in the church, we get so, our family goes to church and our community, where everybody knows we go, and we, get, and we don't want to walk away, it's not that we hate God, it's not that we stop believing, we do believe, but we just get into this place, we get into this phase where God's not that important, he's not that great, we're not that passionate about him, we kind of put our Bible to the side, prayer is a thing of the past, and we just kind of start living our life, and we go to church, and we do our thing, but that Jesus is not really a massive part of our life. And we get locked into that phase for months and years at a time. We lose all desire, and this is how people learn religion. This is how people get sucked in to that idea of religion is because they keep going to church and they keep wearing the T-shirts and they don't really walk away from their belief in Jesus. They just don't have that passion for God. And so I just want to talk for just a few minutes. I want to talk about how we get there and how we get out and what the root cause of some of that is in your life. The three basic things, and we're just going to hang out here just for a second, just for a quick second to understand because I want to get to the main thing. The first thing is just it's, it's an inside job. Right, that means it's self-induced. That means it's something that, that you have done. You get into a phase in your life or things just go haywire because of a decision that you made or because of a sin that you committed. And, and for example, if I were to go out right now and I were to not tell Courtney and go get a couple credit cards and run and, and mark up 30 grand in consumer debt, and then three months from now when she finds out that I ran up $30,000 worth of consumer debt and we have this big financial deal now, this big financial struggle, this stress in our life and our marriage is stressed because of it. And I, six months from now, eight months from now, I'm so stressed and I'm so out because of the financial decisions that I made that I just kind of put God on the back burner and I'm and I've just kind of put Courtney on the back I hate this microphone go through this time in our life you know what I mean that's something that's an inside job that's something that's self-induced that's something that I did all right that's something that that's that's my
have no idea. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I literally have no idea. It's like it's coming loose. Check one. Oh, I'm not, not preaching with that hand mic again. No, I'm preaching with this. No, yeah. No, we're going to beat this thing together. It's an inside job. It's self-induced. It's something that we do. It's something that we, that we cause. And we get this. You don't, need me to go. you don't need me to teach you this. You get this, all right? You know, you're, like, you're at school. You punch a kid in the face. You get suspended, right? I mean, that just, that's just how that happens. You know, you understand. You go home. You get suspended. Now you're grounded, and your life's not good, and you understand how all that took place. This is the one, this is the one I also think is the most obvious. This is the one where people get mad at each other. Because people, they go through this time in their life, and they want to come talk to one of their friends, and their friends basically just say, well, you're kind of an idiot. You know what I mean? You kind of did this to yourself. Nobody wants to hear that. They understand they did it to themselves. So, like, we get to this place. There's plenty of situations in my life, plenty of times in my life when I look back, and there was a sin that I committed. There was this phase in my life, this decision that I made that led to this stress or led to this situation. And in that moment, because things just get bad or things just get whatever, you just kind of walk away from God for a little bit. We get that. And there was a scripture that David writes. David understands this idea more than anybody in Psalm 7. He says, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. I want you to understand the order of that. He says, whoever gets pregnant with evil conceives trouble and the trouble gives birth to disillusionment. Let me just say it like this. He said, whoever's going to mess around with evil, mess around with foolishness, it's going to conceive trouble. And when that trouble is conceived, the trouble that comes from the messing around with evil is going to give birth to disillusionment. I mean, it's going to, it's going to make you not be able to see things very clearly. It's going to make you not be able to see the things that are important are important. For instance, your relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, see, that's what it's saying. It says if you mess around with evil, if, you, if you're kind of just making some foolish decisions, doing things you know aren't right, it's going to conceive trouble in your life. And as you go through that co- trouble or those consequences of those actions, it's going to kind of, it's going to fade. My gosh. Can we pray real fast? I'm sorry. I, I'm not. Father God, I pray, Lord, right now that you would let your spirit be with me, God, that you will uh, just get through these mic issues, get my focus back on the sermon, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you just let your presence be with us. I pray, God, that you will clear our hearts, clear our minds, God. I pray, Lord, that you will just consume us in every way imaginable this morning, God, from, from uh, the oldest to the youngest, God, right now, Lord, that you will just open up our hearts to you, Father. Let your word be preached, God. Let your spirit uh, work through us this morning, Lord God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. And he says, listen, he said, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit. They have made the trouble they cause recoils on them. I mean, you've been there. I've been there. We've, we've done some things we know we shouldn't have done. We made some foolish decisions we know we shouldn't have made, and we paid for it. It's an inside job. Listen, let me help you out. Listen, if you know this and you get to this place, repent, get it right. Do everything in your power to get out of it, and then just move in a different direction. All right, you get this. There's not, this isn't some hidden factor. All right, if you're, if you're spending money that you don't have, stop spending money that you don't have, okay? If you've got an anger problem, you need to get some counsel and get that fixed. If, you've got, if those things that you know that are just causing some things in your life, just address those things. It's not, those things don't have to defeat you. They don't have to beat you down. They don't have to conquer you. You know that you've got some things in your life 
All right, some things that you're prone to do, some things that you're prone to say, some actions you're prone to take place that lead to consequences in your life, that lead to issues in your life. Just be honest with those things and open with those things and confess those things and don't let them in the secrecy of your life destroy your life. That's the problem. The only sin that you can't defeat is the sin that you try to keep secret. The only sin that's going to ruin you, the sin that's going to get to you is the one that you try to hide, the one that you, that you just let sit there when no one else is around, the one that you don't confess, the one that you don't address. I like to say in my personal life, if I don't confess it and address it, it will own me. And there are things in your heart and there are things in your life you know that you are prone to do. And you need to be open with those things because the moment that you expose them, the scripture tells us the moment that you expose that sin to the light, the light will make it flee and the light will make it run. And when you open it and you confess it to God and you confess it to the people closest to you and you expose it to the light, God will get involved in your life and will help you move past that thing in your life. But you know that thing. That's not the, that's not the biggest deal. That's not the, that's not the hardest thing. You know that there's things in your life that you're prone to that lead to situations in your life. All right, so that's an inside job. That's what happens sometimes, and it leads to situations in our life. The second thing that does is it's an outside job. All right, this is just the things that are outside your control, the things that you can't help. All right, your boss hates his life, so he does everything in his power to make your life miserable. All right, you didn't earn that. You didn't deserve that. There's nothing in you. That's just an outside circumstance, all right? Your wife gets pregnant, okay? Does this happen to anybody? Your wife gets pregnant, all right? She gets tired, all right? She gets, she gets a, little, a little sad sometimes. Walked in the other day. Listen, this is not against you. This is against me in a big way. Walk in the other day. She just looks at me, and she just says, Jordan. I said, yeah, babe. She said, you didn't make the bed this morning. And I asked you to feed the dogs, and now they're dead. She didn't say that. Well, I asked you to feed the dogs, and you didn't feed the dogs. And the house is going to show this afternoon, and now I have to clean the house. What are you doing? I... I'm playing disc golf, babe, actually. So I'm going to leave here. I'm going to come home. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you clean. Now, listen, little Courtney's day didn't go so well that afternoon. Whose fault was that? My fault. Right? Right? She goes, she works all day. I came here to church. I worked at the church. I did my thing. I went to the gym, and then I was going to go try to get a round of disc golf in, and I didn't make the bed, and I didn't clean the house, and I didn't feed the dogs, and I didn't do the things that I should have done. It was my actions. And when little Miss Courtney, who worked all day long, who's growing a baby human inside of her, she gets home. She's tired, and the house is a mess. I'm a horrible husband. All right, and she just sits there. Now she's stressed and she's tired and she's got to do this stuff, and there's nothing about her that's her fault, right? That's me. That's an everyday situation right there. All right, we do all the time. We cause people in our lives a little bit of pain, a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiety because we're either a little bit lazy or a little bit disorganized or all the other weaknesses that I have in my life, and, and we just do all these things. Listen, what I want you to understand is there are things that you go through in your life that just aren't your fault. You're paying for the sins of others. That's, I'm telling you, that's the story of her life. She pays for the sins of my weaknesses. I can guarantee that, all right? So when you go through these times in your life, 
All right, when there's outside circumstances, things that are outside your control that are bleeding in on you and that are, that are bringing in stress and bringing in chaos on you, okay? But here's the deal. You didn't cause it. You didn't deserve it necessarily, but now you find yourself in this circumstance and you find yourself in this situation. And over, and that's a little funny story, but as you go through time and you get these bigger things like the economy crashing, all right, the economy crashing, or somebody waging war on our country, or, you know, the, 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 the school that your children, I don't understand the stress of children. I know that I caused my parents a lot of stress, but, you know, you go through a spirit of your life and your marriage is affected because your children are little hellions and they're running around causing a bunch of chaos. And instead of you being asleep at a 11 o'clock at night, you're waiting until 1 or 2 in the morning on them to get home so you can beat them half senseless for being home and missing curfew. There are things in your life that are not your fault that are going to create incredibly stressful circumstances in your life. And here's the question. Here's the idea is that you didn't deserve it. It's not something that you caused, but the circumstances is still the circumstance. The reality is still the reality, Right? And a lot of times when we get into these places or we get into this stuff and, and the, all the stuff starts happening and people in our family start getting sick or a f economy starts messing with our finances or somebody loses their job or all these little outside things, something that you didn't deserve, something that you didn't want, something that you didn't, didn't need at all, you go through this phase in your life, it still exists, it's still there, and it causes time in your life. A lot of times when we get in these moments... Sometimes we get mad at God. Sometimes we get aggravated at God. Sometimes we want to know why. Sometimes, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do, and, and now this just is here, and it's just not good, and this situation is this, and this circumstance is that, and I just feel like I can't win for losing. I just can't get a break, and, and we just get to this place where we kind of just put God to the side. We kind of just, you know, sometimes we get to this mentality. It's like I did what I was supposed to do, and now I still didn't. I didn't get what I thought I was supposed to get. And so it's just kind of like, I'm just going to kind of put God to the side. We let outside circumstances weigh our life down and kind of draw us away from God. And then there's a third thing, and it's just God himself. There's some things in your life that's in my life that you don't need, and God loves you. And so God puts you through certain things to refine us. God puts us through certain things to refine us. He sends, James says he sends us through times of testing so that they can make us complete. He can prepare us for something in the future, prepare us for something greater in the future. Sometimes these circumstances and the situations that we go through are not self-induced. They're not really outside circumstances. It's just God being God helping you grow in your life. So here, here's where I'm trying to get to is that as we go through different seasons, as we go through different times, as we get to this stuff, all of this stuff that I'm talking about right now is pretty clear. All right, if you if you cheat on your wife and 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 she leaves you and life is horrible, that's a self-induced circumstance. All right, you make horrible financial decisions, you go through that, that's a self-induced circumstance. You act foolish, you make sinful decisions, you'll deal with the consequences of those decisions. That's self-induced. There are things that are coming from the outside, you know in your heart you haven't done anything, and there's these things bleeding down on you and causing you issues and causing you problems, as you kind of go through that, you see that. And when God's starting to move in your life and starting to refine things and maybe discipline you a little bit and help you grow a little bit, you go through that, you can, you can you see that and God makes that clear to us when the time comes. Here's what I want to get to. The microphone messed me up so much. Every week people say, don't let the microphone mess you up. It's not a big deal to you, to everybody else as it is to you. I'm going to tell you something right now. Dude, when my mind gets gone, it's so difficult to get back. So here's what I want to do as we move on. I want to call a timeout. All right. This first part of the message is over. It's in the past. Hope you took good notes because we're not coming back to it. As we move into this, I want you to understand what I want to teach you and what I felt like the Lord really showed me 
as I really was asking him about these seasons, asking him about this time and, and really get into this, I want you to open up your heart and open up your mind. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians um, chapter 6 and hang out there. Um, and uh, we'll get to that in a minute. In Galatians chapter 6, he starts talking about bearing the burdens. This is Paul talking to the church of Galatia. He talks about bearing the burdens of the people around them. And one thing I want you to understand as we go through this, Paul is talking to Christians. All right, Paul is talking to people who are saved, people who know Christ. It's important that you understand that. And right as you get to Galatians chapter 6, if you want to kind of read through the first few verses, he basically just saying, listen, there's going to be times in people's lives when they kind of go into a bad spiritual phase of their life, when they kind of just get into this place in their life. And he says, and, and those of you that are spiritually strong, you need to reach down and you need to gently restore them. You need to bring them back out of that phase. And he says, and, and, and help them. Don't judge them and don't be prideful. He says, because there's going to come a time in your life too when you need to be gently pulled back in and you need to be gently restored. And he says, don't think too highly of yourself. And then he kind of gets down to the situation. And right as he gets to the end of that idea of, of bearing other burdens and, and this phase in people's life and restoring people, he makes this statement right here. And what he's getting to, and this is in Galatians 6, chapter 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Don't be deceived. Go back. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So what he's saying is, he said, I want you to understand something about God. All right? God is not going to be mocked. Some of your translations may say God is not going to be made a fool. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And the, and the only way I could really get to really teach or to get across the point that Paul's trying to make was when I was in uh, 10th grade, um, I, I remember being, I was, I was pretty good at math and science growing up, but I was horrible. Ho I'm, let me lie, I lied. I was pretty good at math growing up. I was horrible at science. I don't know if it was just because I didn't like it or I didn't understand it or it was at the end of the day and, and I, did, I, I just did not like science. I was not good at science. And uh, me and the teacher were pretty good friends. His name was Miss McGinnis. She's one of my favorite teachers of all time. Um, and uh, we just had this really cool relationship. And, and, and we got to this place near the, end of the, near the end of the year where I was getting to earn a basketball season. I was getting to this place where if I didn't get my grade up to a C, all right, in this science class, then I was going to have to sit a few games until the following semester. And I really, 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 really didn't want to do that. And so uh, we had this test coming up. And I, and I got, I remember walking into her office. And you have to understand the relationship that we had. We were, she was very much my teacher, but we were also friends. I was close to her. Um, I had gotten 151 write-ups. Um, and so I had to spend a lot of lunches with her, too. And so, like, there was just this, we had just built kind of this friendship. I was that kid that teachers hated that they kind of loved me a little bit. That was just kind of who I was. I was very loud, and they didn't, it was just me. So I, I had this relationship. I remember walking in um, to her class um, on the day after the exam, and I knew that I had just bombed this deal. And I walked up to her, and I made this statement to her. I said, listen, I know that I didn't study. I know that I didn't do well on the test. I know that I didn't listen very well. I know that I missed some classes, and I kind of went down this row of things that I know that I did not do, and I was basically asking for her to just give me a good grade anyway. I didn't just say it like that. You know, you know how, like, you just, you kids, like, ask you for something that you know they don't, and they kind of go around the world. I, kinda, I just kind of, but I was basically saying, listen, I know that I don't deserve this grade, and I know that I didn't listen, and I know that all this stuff, but I just, I'm really, really, really neat. And I remember her response. It was chilling because she had never been mean to me, really, up to this point. 
Um, and I, she wasn't mean to me then. She was just very, very stern, very, very strict with me. And she, it made her angry. I'll never forget that. I've never seen her mad before. It made her angry. And she made the statement to me, and the thing that it kind of just sent chills down my back, she said, I will not let you disrespect me like this. And I was like, and I didn't really understand. I was like, I'm not disrespecting you, all right? I just want you to give me a good grade, all right? I just, I don't, I'm not, I'm not talking back to you. I just, I want... And her point was that she went on to very loudly explain to me was, you come into class late, you take advantage of our little friendship that we have. I try to have mercy on you and I try to have grace on you, but you just take advantage of that. You always show up to class late. You never do your homework. You never study. And you show up to the exam completely unprepared. You bomb the exam. And now you're coming to me hoping that I'll just give you a good grade, hoping that I'll just give you another chance, hoping that I'll just do this thing for you. And she's do you understand how disrespectful that is to me? She said, because you don't respect me at all. She said, you don't respect me as a teacher. You don't respect my class. You don't respect my knowledge. You don't respect what I'm trying to teach you because if you did respect it, you would come to class on time. If you did care about it, you would study. And she went through all these things and very, very, very strategically told me that I would not be getting the grade that I so wanted in her class. But she did let me study for two more weeks and take the exam and I don't, I don't think I did well on that one either. But the point is, is that, the, that, that in that moment, I was basically mocking her in instance. I was disrespecting her. I was making her out to be a fool. Because what I was doing, what I was saying was, is I know that I should have been doing all these things. And I know that I should have been uh, studying. And I know that I should have been coming to your class on time. And I know that I shouldn't have just been bailing out. And I, I know I should have been doing my homework. But I didn't do any of that because I really don't have that much of a level of respect for you and for your class and for what you're doing. But now I want a good grade. That's kind of the concept that Paul's trying. Exactly. That's kind of the concept that Paul's talking about God. He says, God's not going to be mocked. You will sow what you reap in this life. Now, I want you to understand, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's saying, God's not going to be made a fool. God's not going to be mocked. All right, You are not going to be, for instance, right, you are not going to be able to sow corn and reap potatoes with God. You put corn in the ground, what's going to grow? You put potatoes in the ground, what's going to grow? You put What's some other nasty vegetable? You put spinach in the ground, what's going to grow? Spinach. All right? What he's saying is that God is God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is king. God is out of this world amazing. And he said, if you come to God, he said, and you, and you do all the things that you know God doesn't want you to do, and you start sowing all the things that God knows, that he says, you will reap the benefits, you will reap the consequences for what you sow. God's not going to be mocked. But listen, I want you to know where he takes us. The emphasis is, and this is the key part that I want to talk about for just a few minutes. This is the part that matters. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, I want you to remember the next phase, the next thing that Paul says to the Galatians. He says this right here. Go, go back. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, I want you to forget about corruption and forget about the word eternal life for just a second. I want you to concentrate on what he says. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap. The emphasis is not on what is being sown. 
The emphasis is not on the seed. The emphasis is not on, 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 on what you're sowing. The emphasis is on where you are sowing it to. The emphasis that Paul's trying to make, the point that Paul is trying to make is that if you sow into a field that is owned by the flesh, or you sow into a field that is owned by the world, or you sow into the field that is owned by the spirit of this world, by the spirit of your flesh and by your nature, from the flesh is what you will reap. But if you sow into the spirit, you sow into the field that is owned by the spirit and controlled by the spirit, from the spirit you will reap. What he's saying is if you sow into the world, what you will reap will be from the world. But if you sow into God, what you will reap will be from God. Does that make sense? The emphasis is not on what you're sowing. It's not on the seed that you're sowing. It's not on, and what he's talking about here, he's talking about the resources that are in your life. That's the analogy that he's trying to make. He's talking about your time. He's talking about your effort. He's talking about your resources. He's talking about who you are and the things that you possess and what you do with them. It's the emphasis is not on the time. It's not on the effort. It's not on the resources. The emphasis on is what field you choose to invest the area of your life in. What he wants you to understand is that you have an option and you have a choice as a Christian. You have resources, you have time, you have effort, you have resources in your life. And as you grow in Christ, if you keep reaping or you keep sowing into the field of the flesh or you keep sowing into the field of the earth, that's what you will reap from in this life. You will reap things from the earth, you will reap things from the flesh. But if you sow into the things of the Spirit, if you sow into the field that's controlled by the Spirit, then you will reap things from the Spirit. The other thing I want you to understand here is that when you're a gardener or when you're sowing things, you don't do really any of the work. The only part of your job is to do what? As you're sowing or as you're gardening. Any, anybody, anybody a farmer? Agriculturalist? We don't have many of those, right? Do you know what I know about farming? The basics. You take some seed, you throw it into the ground, you come back nine months later, however many, that's a baby, I guess. You come back at the end of the season, come back at the end of the season, and there's some corn where you put some seed in later on. Does that make sense? Man, that could have got so bad so quick. Like the whole, that, that's all I know. I don't know the time frame, but what I do know about it is that if you put seed into the ground, a certain amount of time will go by, and then whatever you planted will grow. And what Paul's saying is that God's not going to be made a fool. God's not going to be mocked. If you sow into the flesh or you sow into the world or you sow into, you invest your time, you invest your resources, you invest who you are into the earth and into the things of the world and into the spirit of the world and into your flesh and into the desires of the flesh. If you spend your time and your effort and your resources investing into that field, that is the field that you will reap from. What he's saying is, is that you cannot invest your time, invest your effort, and invest your resources into the field of the flesh and the world and then come to God and expect there to be a lot growing in the field of the Spirit. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm getting at. Here's the point. This is the point I'm making. What he's saying is, is that what you don't realize, what you don't really get about life is that every single day is an opportunity for you to invest, and you will invest your time, you will invest your effort, you will invest your resources into one of the two things. It will absolutely happen. Matter of fact, you will invest your life into the field controlled or ruled or the lorded over by the flesh, or you invest your resources, your time, and your effort into a field ruled by the Spirit. And if you invest your time, effort, and resources into the field ruled by the flesh in a certain amount of time when you wake up and you walk out to harvest, that's what will be in your life, will be the things that you invested in. Does that make sense? I want you to imagine your life like one big giant field. 
On the left is the things of the flesh, and on the right is the things of the Spirit. If you spend all of your time in the things on the left, in the things in the flesh, and the things in the world, that is who you will become. That is who you will grow to be. When things grow up, as time goes by, you will find yourself in and surrounded by whatever it is that you grew in that field. I guess what I'm saying is is that as I was going through some of those phases in my life, and you guys go through some of the phases in your life, we kind of just wake up one day and we wonder how we got here. What I'm saying is, is that a lot of times we wake up, and it's not like we just wake up and everything's different and everything's not, and our passion for God, listen, it's a slow fade. We spend a certain amount of months or a certain amount of years giving ourselves to the world. If you spend a lot of time in the gym, your body's going to change. You spend a lot of time at work investing in a career, you're probably going to do well in your career. You invest a lot of time in your children and raising your children, your children are going to grow and they're going to be responsible. They're going to do all the things that you do when you raise your kids. You spend a lot of time with your kids. All, right, all of those things that are true are true about your spiritual life. If you spend all of your time and your effort and your resource investing in the earth and investing in the time and investing in the flesh, there's not going to be a lot growing in your spiritual life. And so one day you are going to wake up at harvest time, whenever that is, and you're going to walk outside and you're going to see one field, your spiritual life barren, and you look at the other life that it's full. And what it's saying is, is that when you do this, you reap corruption from the flesh or eternal life. The word corruption just means this right here. That's the word in the Greek. It just means, literally means destruction from internal corruption. It just says that, listen, you're investing in a losing stock. You put all of your time and your effort and your resources into the flesh and into the desires of the flesh. He said, what you're going to gain is just going to be this internal thing inside of you that starts to corrupt the way that you see things. And corrupt the things that God wants to do in your life. Eventually it can even wreak havoc and destroy some of the things that God wants to do in your life. And he goes on and talks about eternal life. And I don't want everybody to get up and uh, go to the next slide. And that word right there, I know it's, it, for the word eternal in the Greek, does not focus on the future, but rather on the quality of the age it relates to. What, that, what Paul's saying there is, listen, what the spirit, if you invest in the spirit, what comes from the spirit is just that type of life that only God can provide for you. That's all that means. That type of life, that satisfaction that only God can bring to your life. That, that love, that joy, that peace that only Christ can provide for you. That's what he's talking about. That's the point of what he's saying. So, oh, listen, I want to I I kind of get to this, go to the next. This is just what Paul's saying. Listen, you invest in the flesh, it's going to gain corruption. You invest in the spirit, it's going to gain eternal life. It's going to gain that. I want to be very clear about something. This is not talking about salvation. This is not talking about works-based salvation. It's not saying you can earn eternal life or earn salvation. This is Paul preaching and teaching to the church. And he's saying as Christians, as people who are saved, as people who believe in Christ, he said you have decisions, you have choices, right? you have resources, time and effort. He says, and you can and will invest those and certain things. And he says, if you choose to invest those things into the desires of your flesh and into this world, and you don't invest anything inside into, into the spirit, into God, he says, in time, 
right, when the harvest comes, you will wake up one day and that joy that you once had might not be there as strong as it used to be. And that passion that you once had might not be there as strong as it used to be. And a lot of times I think that's how, because I don't think, we go through times where we, we commit a sin and we face the consequences for that. But right here is why I think a lot of us go through the phases that we go through. I think because we go through seasons in our life, we go through months at a time where we just kind of put God on the back burner and we start investing all of our time into our business and all of our time into our, our little hobbies and all of our time into this and all of our time into that and all of our effort into this and all of our effort into that and all of our resources into this and all of our resources into that. And, and that's great. But then we wonder why when we get six months down the road or a year down the road after we've invested everything we are into something different other than God, we wake up and we don't have that passion for God anymore. And we don't have that, 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 that spiritual desire for the things of God anymore. And what Paul's saying is, listen, if you invest, if you sow the things in your life into the things of the earth and you ignore the spiritual and you don't sow into God and you don't sow into your relationship in Christ, you will wake up one day and you will not have a passionate relationship in view for God. That's how we wake up one of those. That's how, you know, it's a you know, casting crown song. Talk about a slow fade. I mean, that's how we get there. You're not, you're not on fire one day and then you're just, on, not just gone the next day. It's a slow fade. And here's what I really want to talk about, Justin. You can go ahead and come play or whoever's going to come play. And this is really, really the, the heart of the message. Why do you choose? Now listen, I just want to get for real for a minute. Why do you choose as a believer? I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm just talking to the Christians in the room. Why do you choose, as a believer in Jesus Christ, to invest your time, your effort, and your resources into the things outside of Jesus Christ? Listen, I go to the gym every day. I love the gym. All right? It's, my, it's a hobby of mine. I love it. I work out so that I don't freak out in life. It's just my thing. Also, because if I don't, I'll get really fat. All right? I love working out. I do that. All right? I love this church. I pour my life into this church. I love my wife. I pour my life. I'm not talking about everybody living like monks. You get that, right? Because I think sometimes when I hear messages like this, I'm like, does he want me to like move into a cave and read scripture and pray and chant all day? Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. Investing in the, investing in the world, investing in the... Listen, guys, it's not about... Are you saying you don't want me to like invest in my career and do well at my job? No, I want you to succeed at your job. I want you to invest in your career. I want you to do well. I, what I'm saying is it comes down to a mentality in your heart and your life. Why you invest so much of who you are into the things of the world? That's the question. Why do you invest so much of who you are into your hobbies? That's the question. Why do you invest so much of who you are into the success of the earth? That's the question. That's the question you've got to get to. Because just like in, in real life investments, you will always invest in what you trust. You will always 
invest in what you trust. Do you know why everybody on the planet invested in Apple a few years ago? Because everybody in the planet trusted that iPhones were going to change the world. And they did. Truthfully, they did. The little iPod Nano, remember that? The little iPod. I mean, we had no way, no way to listen to music the way the iPod let us. And when they invented that and that came out, there was not a soul on the planet that didn't think that company was going to go through the earth. And so everybody that had any type of money invested into Apple. Why? Because they trusted. They knew in their heart that that thing would grow. It's the same exact thing with your life. What you truly trust in, what you wake up in the morning, what you trust in, that's what you're going to invest your day in. That's what you're going to invest your time in. That's what you're going to invest your life in. So God says something about trust in Jeremiah. He says to the people of Jeremiah, he says this right here. He says, curse is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. He said, listen, I want you to understand something about trusting me. This is God talking. He says, if you put your trust in man, and you put your trust in the world, and you put your trust in the things of the earth, and you put your trust in the flesh, and you invest in all of that, he said, I want you to understand, one, it's a curse. It's stupidity. I want you to know that this is what your life will start to look like on a spiritual level. He is a shrub in the desert, shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places, wilderness, in the un uninhabited salt land. What that means is, he says, if you get to a place in your heart, and your life where you shift your trust from God and you put it into the things of the earth and you put it into the things of this world and you put it into the things of your flesh he said you will find yourself in a spiritual state of parchedness unable to be inhabited it means nothing could grow even if it wanted to does that make sense if you get to a place in your life where you put your trust in the things of man you know what am I saying is I got to a place in my life I, when I was young, that first, remember that first little mountaintop experience I told you about? I had this moment with God. It was so real. It was so amazing. And I knew in my heart and I knew in my life that God, Christ, there was truth to Christ, this name, Jesus Christ. And it was so powerful to me that I would be willing to do anything or say anything or go any direction that I would give up everything in my life. I trusted that this name, Jesus Christ, would give me the strength that all the other things that I was looking for would. I trusted in that moment that Jesus Christ would bring me the satisfaction and the joy in my life that all of these other things that I thought would I trusted that and because I trusted that Jesus Christ was who he said he was and I put my faith in him and I put my trust in him I walked away from all the things that I used to trust and depend on for happiness and joy and pleasure and I gave myself to Christ and I moved and when he said go I went and whatever he said to say I said it despite what anybody else thought about me that was trust in Christ Right, but what happens is, and what happened in my life, what happens in so many of your life is you get to a place in your life where you start thinking and you start, you start going through this process that Christ maybe isn't going to bring me the satisfaction. Christ maybe doesn't have the greatest plan. You start trusting the world. You start trusting the things of man to give you that satisfaction. 
You start thinking, listen, God's not going to give me the husband that I want. God's not going to give me the the wife that I want. God's not going to open up the door to the right job. If I don't start taking control of my life and I don't start investing in my career and I don't start investing in this and I don't start securing this and I don't start going this way, then, then I'll never be able to find what God wants. I'll never be able to find success in the world. I'll never be able to find the right husband or the right path. And we start thinking in our hearts and thinking in our minds that God doesn't have the answer. And so we start looking for the answer somewhere else. That's why we invest in the things that we invest in. Sometimes we get into these phases of life and we get tired of waiting on God to show us what's next. And so we start taking control of what we want to be what's next. And so then we move in and we start making all the decisions and we transfer our trust away from God and away from Christ into the things of the world and into ourselves. And we start making decisions based on our own wisdom, based on our own knowledge, based on the things that we want, the things that we think we need. And that is us beginning to invest into the things of the world. And then one day, whether it's weeks or it's months or it's years, you wake up and you have harvested the things that you sowed for all those years away from God. And what God wants you to know right now about your life is that if you head in that direction, you will find yourself in a place like a shrub in the desert parched and dry and uninhabited. This is why you can have people who think wealth will bring them all this happiness and all this satisfaction, gain all the wealth in the world, and still be completely unsatisfied with life. He says it does not matter what circumstances are around you. You're a shrub in the desert because you put your trust in the world and you invested everything you are in this world and into the American dream and into society and into your nature and now you have exactly what you invested in. He says, but those of you that will put your trust in me, he said, those of you that will transfer your trust to me and you will put your trust in me and you will that I am the provider. And you will know in your heart that I am the answer. You will know in your heart that I will bring the right person along at the right time and that I will open the door and I will walk you through it. And you just get to a place where you are totally dependent on me and you trust me and you invest in me. He says, this is you. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. He says those people who trust in the Lord and invest in the things of the Lord, those are the people that are like a tree planted by the water. Do you know what a tree planted by the water does? It grows. And it doesn't matter how hot it's outside it is. It doesn't matter how cold it is outside. It doesn't matter what happens on the exterior circumstances because the foundation of that tree is tied into the water next to it. He said, that's you and that's me. He said, if you put your trust in God, truly put your trust in God, and you start living your life like you trust God, and you invest into the things of God, and you invest your time and your effort into the things of God, you sow into the field of the Spirit because you believe that whatever God brings you is going to be the best thing for your life. You believe that He is the provider. He says, then you will be connected to me in such a way that it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on in the economy. It doesn't matter what's going on with your boss. It doesn't matter if you get fired. It doesn't matter if you lose your job. It it doesn't matter if things go south. It doesn't matter because you're tied to Christ. It really just comes down to this question right here. Do you believe 
that God is who he said he is? Do you believe that Christ is who he said he is? And will you live your life according to the way that Christ has asked you to live your life? Because if you believe him and you trust him and you depend on him, and you take your time and you take your effort and you take your resources and you devote them to God, then what you reap will be from the Spirit of God. And I don't know about you, but I will take anything that the Spirit of a living, holy God wants to give me versus anything that I could come up with on my own. And so... My end statement to you this morning is do you trust God? Do you truly trust God? Do you trust God to provide? Do you trust God to show you the way? Do you trust God? Do you trust God more than you trust yourself? Do you trust his ways more than you trust your own ways? Do you trust his thoughts more than your own thoughts? Do you trust his word and his knowledge and his wisdom over the knowledge and the wisdom of this earth? And when you make decisions and you make choices and you start dating and you start getting married and you start changing careers and you start in your business, is all of that founded on the trust that you have in Jesus Christ? Or are you living a life where you are investing everything you have into the world? It's a big question. Because a lot of times when we wind up in these phases or these seasons, and we wake up one day and we're, we've lost our passion, it's not because we just woke up one and we lost our passion. It's because we spent six months or a year or however long investing into the things of the world. Here's what I believe. I believe that the moment that you turn your heart to God, no matter what season of life you're in, and you put your trust in him, and you put your faith in him, and you ask him to be your provider, in that moment he will become your provider. And you ask him in that moment to be the one that guides you, then he will guide you. And you ask him in that moment to be the one that leads you, he will lead you. But if you get into those seasons and you start looking to the world and you start looking at anything outside of God to please you and to give you that satisfaction and to give you that joy and you give yourself to that, then that is what you will at the end of this series, we come down to this idea of do you believe what you say you believe? And does your life back that up? This morning, as we kind of close down, I just want you to know this one very important truth about God. Is that no matter where you are in this life, no matter what you're going through in this life, what phase or how old you are, whether it's good or it's bad, if you look to God, He is there waiting on you. 
And whether you need it now or you need it six months from now, if you bow your knee to Christ in faith, he will open himself up to you in a way that you cannot ever seek him. So what I want to encourage you to do this morning is as we close here in a minute, we're just going to close in worship. I just want you to go through areas of your life. And if there's any place in your life, anything that you're going through where you know that you're taking control of it and you know that you haven't given it to God, you know you haven't surrendered, you know that you haven't, you haven't just opened yourself up and you don't trust God to be God of that situation, I'm just asking you to turn that over to him this morning as we close out. If you guys will stand with me. Father God, I pray, Lord, right now that you would just let your spirit rest in this house, God. I pray, Lord, right now that you would just consume the hearts and the minds of these people, God. I pray, Lord, no matter what phase of life we're in or what season of life we're in, Lord God, we need you. God, we need you more now than we ever have. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit rest in this house. God, if there's anybody in this room spiritually that feels like a shrub in the desert, God, and they just, they don't know the last time they opened up the Bible. They don't know the last time they they went to church and lifted their hands and worshiped you. They don't know the last time that they felt your presence. They don't know the last time, Lord God, that they are just spiritually parched, God. They are just spiritually in a funk, Lord God. They are just out of it, God. They don't really know how they got there. All they know is they want to get out. I pray, Lord God, right now for those people, if there's anybody in this room that needs you and wants you in a new way, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you will open up your heart to them. God, I pray, Father, as we go through and we sing this last song of worship, Lord God, that they would just feel you, Father. They will start to make changes in their life to go after you and to seek you and to draw near to you, God. And I pray, Lord, right now that there's anybody in this room that's just on a spiritual mountaintop, Lord God, and they're just rolling right now, and they just they just feel you and things are clear, God. I pray, Lord, right now that while they're on the mountaintop, Lord God, that they will invest in you, Father God, that they will spend their time and their effort and their resources investing in you and investing in your kingdom, Lord God, investing in the highs. God, I pray, Lord, that we will become a church, Lord, that is consciously aware of you, Father God. I pray, Lord God, that we become a people who stop trying to be seek to be entertained, but encounter you, God. I pray, Lord, on this last song, Lord God, let us just encounter you, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will be real to us this morning. 